Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, Jason and I are so excited to be back here again for two weeks, and I just want to celebrate our home church life center in Ottawa just for a second, because while we're away this Sunday, in two of three of our campuses, we actually have lay ministers, the leaders of our prayer team who are preaching to women in the house who lead our prayer teams in our Canada and our Orleans campuses are preaching today on warfare prayer. And I just want to celebrate that because, yeah, it's a really, really exciting thing. And, and I, want to, I want to share that with you because each and, every you, each and every one of you that are sitting in the seats today, the body of Christ needs you. You have gifts that you bring to the table. Life Church needs you. You just heard here a plug from Jack about volunteering. You have gifts that you bring to the table that we need. And who knows, maybe in a couple of months or a couple of years, it's going to be you up here preaching because of the gifts that God has given you. So I encourage you, get involved. Don't just sit in the seats. Be a part of this community. Be a part of this body because you have a significant and important part to play. And we're so, so excited you're here. Well, we've had a great week here in Vancouver. Our boys were with us for the week. It was their first time to the West Coast, so it was very special and very exciting, and we made our way down to Whistler for a couple of days. Has anybody ever skied Whistler? Just give me, just wave at me if you have. Okay, so we have never, never. had never skied Whistler before. That was our first time, and we haven't skied in probably like... Decades. Maybe not decades, but probably like a good seven years. It's been decades. a while. It's been a while, and if you've ever skied in Ottawa, we don't have mountains, we have hills. So it takes you about one minute to go down. <laughs> it's bad. It's not anything like what we experienced here. So we're heading up the chairlift. We're going for, and it keeps going, and it, ke- and it keeps going. And, the, and the first, our first time up, we, we thought we were at the end, so we got off. And they're like, oh, no, you're just halfway. We're like, should we get back on? What do we do? We decided to ski down, go again. Oh, we really, yeah, that's just halfway. We got to go all the way up to the top. On our last run, on my last run of the day, I decided to leave Jay and one of our sons to go and do some a little bit harder runs. I was sticking to the green, you know, sticking to the green circle all the way, just taking it easy. I didn't want to get injured. And so I said, you guys go off, go do your thing. I'll go down. I'll make my way down on my own. No problem, right? Okay, I thought it was going to be no problem. We'd gone up and down quite a few times. I knew my way. I'm following the line, following the circle, and literally, I, I think I'm following the way. I end up completely off path. How did I? I don't know. And I realize, oh my goodness, uh, I, what am I, I going to do I, now? I know how you advance it. <laughs> what am I going to do now? So I was like, I ended up at a chairlift. I didn't want to go back up. I was very tired. It was a full day. It was almost the end of the day. So I'm like, okay, so I take my skis off. I have to walk back up to get back on my path. It was not fun. So I finally get back on path, and I'm back on, okay, I'm on it. I'm good. I'm good. I'm going down my green circle all the way. I go around this corner, and all of a sudden, I'm in a cloud. Okay, have, have you ever, do you know what I'm talking about? When you ski, it, and like, I, I can't even see, there's no, I can't see 
any people. I, I can't see anything. I can't see the way. I can't, I can't see sun. I can't see anything. And I'm like, what do I do? So I just kind of stopped at like close to this sign and just waited and thought, maybe it'll pass. I mean, they move, right? The clouds move eventually. I just waited for a few minutes, just standing. It's not going anywhere. It is settled, this cloud. And I can see people like like figures-ish coming. We're at a cross. Some people are going down. Some people are going... It, it was a little terrifying, I'm not going to lie. So this girl comes. We're talking today about trusting scripture. We're going to talk about trusting God. We're going to talk about trust. And, you know, it's important when it comes to trust that we put our trust in people who know where they're going. This poor girl comes. She skis beside me. She kind of hits the same impasse as me. She stops. She's like, oh my goodness, I can't see a thing. Where do I go? I'm like, well, people seem to be going in this direction. So I just pointed her and she completely trusts me <laughs> and takes off in this direction. A couple minutes later, I, I decide to venture fearfully forward and I realize I sent her straight into a barrier. And she was sitting on the ground and I could, she was on her phone, like probably calling someone, like I don't know what to do. And she definitely should not have put her trust in no. me. I didn't no. even know where I was going. Yeah. A couple more turns, I made my way, I was okay. And I found a chairlift and it took me to the bottom and I was like, thank you, Jesus. I made it. But So the it moral was of the story is even week. if somebody looks the part, don't necessarily <laughs> trust that they know where they're going. I didn't know. I wasn't the you one. You had no idea. Lori was not the, the one, one to ask. No, and no. the truth of it is this, yeah. and this is actually, I think, a bit of a prophetic lesson, is how many of you know when it comes to trust, there's some elasticity to trust? In other words, in give and take relationships, whether it's with God or whether it's with others, there's some elasticity. Like, it's not so rigid that we can have our own way. We behave, begin to pull. But the more we begin to pull, the more we begin to pull, how many of you know that there's also elasticity, but there becomes a breaking point in trusting relationships? There becomes a point of pulling. If two people are pulling in opposite directions, opposite directions, that the trust will break. And when the trust breaks, there's capital B breaks, but then there's also small B breaks. And when your trust breaks in God is a very defining moment for you. Here's what's true. God is healer. It doesn't always mean that we see healing. God is provider. It doesn't always mean we experience provision. God breaks change. He sets people free. But it doesn't always mean our life is battle free. There's a battle to get free and there's a battle to save free and there are some circular battles. And when it breaks, you and I are tempted to then define God based on our experience and not who God is. We are tempted to take God's word if it doesn't match our experience and allow our experience to be authoritative more than God's word. And this happens. And again, a little word of wisdom for some of you maybe here or at home today. Lori looked the part at Whistler and did she ever? She was cute. She wasn't, she just is, and was there too, is cute. She looked the part, but she was the worst person to ask advice from. For some of you, stop asking advice and looking for advice from people who don't love God. They may look the part, they may talk about God, but if they don't love God, don't open your heart to their advice. Just because they look the part doesn't mean they're trustworthy. And so in the context of what it makes some followers of Jesus more resilient, last week we spoke about how loving Jesus is an invitation from him, then a direction for us. And today we want to talk about your trust in the Bible, in scriptures. 
Because when love is healthy, it leads to confidence. It leads to a rooted trust. Every one of us has both trust and mistrust in our stories. In the Old Testament, here is how King David expressed his trust in God. He expressed it this way. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. Now, this isn't rocket science. What do chariots and horses have in common? Modes of transportation that take you from one place to another. Technological advancements in his generation. We don't see horses and chariots as technological revelations or advancements, but David did for his time and for his culture. So what he's essentially saying is, in the amazing ways that the world is evolving and changing and progressing and becoming coming better. Some people put their trust in this, not me. I put, we put our trust in the unchangeable, same yesterday, today, and forever name of the Lord. This is what David was saying it. For you Bible geeks and nerds, look at technological advances like in Genesis when they figure out the brick, the next thing humanity does is tries to build a tower to God, okay? Every technological advancement that society experiences, there comes with it the belief that we no longer need God as a result of that. And you and I are experiencing one in this generation. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. A season or so ago, our, our family went through a profound crisis. You know the type of crises that hit and your eyes cross? They hit you so hard. One of those crises. And a crisis is actually, while we wouldn't, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want the crisis that we went, went through on my worst enemy. I wouldn't want it. But what they do is they're revealing where our trust truly lies. And like any storm, on the other side of it is when you can sort of survey the damage that it created. And so if we're humble, we can learn something about ourselves and we can learn something about God. When trust is broken, this is not the end of the story. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. This can actually be an invitation to trust Jesus deeper to trust him at a different place. And so one day, Lori was in the kitchen, and I was standing. Um, it's like joined the kitchen in the next room or joined. Lori was in the kitchen, and I was standing watching TV in the other room, and there was nothing special about that day. Um, but it just happened to be the day, for some reason, where what we had been living through showed up. You know what I'm saying? It's not a day that you can mark on your calendar, but it's a significant day nonetheless. One of those days. And I had my back to her. And she could see that I was sort of just standing watching TV, which again, as a man, is something I do often. <laughs> but she could see this was, I was just doing that. And she just said three words to me, just sit down. But at that moment, she didn't know that the weight of everything. And I was standing, I wasn't actually watching TV. I was just looking this way with tears streaming down my face. And she said to me, just sit down. Which, watch, not difficult. Yet I turned to her and with all honesty and sincerity said, I don't know how. Now, it wasn't that I didn't know how to do this. I'm not that dumb. What I was saying to her was, because of the brokenness that I've experienced, I don't know how to trust. I don't know how to see the goodness of God in this. I don't... I don't know how, specifically. Let me read a scripture, and I want you to repeat back. Cast all your cares on me. Now you finish it. If you're new to church, you're like, cast all your cares on me, 
for I know that God, you know, for he cares for me, like that, that sort of deal, right? What I experienced in this season was I could quote that. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't specifically know how to cast my care, this care. I could quote it. I could post it. I could get Instagram likes from it. But I didn't know how to actually do it. The truth of it was this, that I was trusting in my own strength to get through the storm. And I came to a place of breaking. And the breaking can be a place of beauty or it can be a place of devastation. And it depends what you and I choose in that moment. Remember David, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. To get from where I was to get to where we're going, some trust in created things. And sometimes not because God doesn't love us, but because he does. He allows us to go through things so we can see where our trust truly resides. And in that place of breaking, it can again, once again, it can be a place of beauty or it can be a place of devastation and you get to choose. Here's what I learned going through the storm. An antichrist heart isn't merely violent opposition towards Jesus, though it includes that. No, an antichrist spirit is succumbing to the way of the enemy where we substitute God's provision for an inferior plan. The enemy always seeks to erode our resilience by weakening our trust in God's word. And he is incredibly effective, he's cunning, and he's crafty. Lori? And so we don't know where you're at today, what's going on in your life, what circumstances you're navigating. Maybe a relationship is breaking down in your life. Maybe there's a change coming at work. Maybe you're navigating a life of singleness. Maybe you're wanting to start a family. We don't know what the circumstance or the situation is that you have going on in your life, but there is an invitation to every single one of us, no matter what the season is. It could even be an incredibly profitable or good or um, an amazing season that you're in. There's this invitation from Jesus that says, will you trust me? Will you trust my word as the authority? Will you trust my word as truth? Will you trust me? And I want you to just take a moment, just right here, right in the middle of the message, and just close your eyes for a moment. And I want you just to imagine Jesus asking you that question. And I want you to put your name in front of that question. Lori, will you trust me? John, will you trust me? Lisa, do you trust my word as truth? Just imagine Jesus asking you that personally right now. You know, right here in the scriptures, in Genesis 3, the enemy is described, the serpent is described as the most crafty, cunning beast of the field. And isn't it interesting that in the very first story where sin enters into the world, the enemy does not actually take one of the fruit and put it in her face and say, look, doesn't this look delicious? Eat this fruit, Eve. Eat it. Look how good it looks. He doesn't actually tell her directly to eat the fruit. No. What is the way of the enemy? He wants to erode your trust in God. 
He wants to erode your trust in his character. He wants to erode your trust in his word because he knows that if he can erode your trust in your relationship with God, you will fall into temptation. You will choose something other than God for what it is that you have need of. And that makes him the most cunning and crafty enemy of all. The truth is that every single one of us have found ourselves in this place. We have found ourselves facing temptation and unable to overcome it because there's a part of us that believes that God is holding out on us. And that's exactly what happened to Eve in the very first temptation. You see, there's a powerful truth in scripture that Spiritual authority only comes through submission, but we don't love this. We don't love this idea of submission because it requires us to lay down the things we want, the things we desire, the ways we want to accomplish things and actually submit to the fullness of God's word, to the authority of God's word, to what God asks us to do. And that is not easy. No, we would rather be like Eve and get caught up in this idea of what we are missing out on. I want you to just to look in the Bible at what exactly happened. Listen to what the serpent says to Eve in the garden. He says, did God really say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And Eve knows God's word. He, she knows what he said to her. She, she corrects him. She says, no, no, that's not what he said. He said, we may eat of all the, all the fruit of all the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the tree in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. So often we don't recognize that everything we have has come from God. Everything in front of us has come from him. In fact, we're not even going to take the next breath without God's sovereign provision on our life allowing us to do so. We so often don't recognize this. She's literally saying to the serpent in this moment, everything I can see God has created for me. Everything I can see he's created for my flourishing. Everything, and I have access to everything except one tree. Except one tree. And what does the enemy do? What does he say? But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. He directly, directly refutes what God said. He directly undermines and undercuts the word of God that she knows is truth to her. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good for evil. Essentially, he said, God is holding out on you. And I want you to think for a moment, just personalize this story for yourself. What are the things that entice you? What are the things that are temptations for you? Bring something to mind right now. What are those sin struggles that seem to be repeated again and again in your life? Is it indulgences around food or drinking or pornography or spending? What do you get stressed and worked up and worried about? Is it security? Is it money? Is it relationships? Needing to have control? Seeking the approval of others? 
How about overworking or jealousy or envy or pride or perfectionism? These are all spaces that we come around the mountain again and again in our struggles. I know for me, one that I come up against almost on a daily basis is self-sufficiency. I think I can do it on my own. I'm like, God, I'm good. I got this. I got this. No, no, I don't. And at the root of all of our temptation and our struggles is God, you're holding out on me. I know better. I want what I want and I want to get it the way that I want. And I think I can do a better job than trusting you, than submitting to you, than yielding to your will and your way and your word. And when we contrast this story with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, where he's tempted, where we see that Eve falls short, where you and I fall short every time, Jesus remains resilient. And he does not waver because he puts his trust in his father, even when it's hard. You see, the enemy, when he's tempting Jesus, he, prov he provides him with three different alternatives, all that would all that would have removed his suffering on the cross. And you remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed to the point of dripping blood. I mean, he was in utter anguish saying, Father, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He did not want to go to the cross. That was going to be the most difficult thing he would ever do. And here was Satan offering him alternatives, ideas of ways that he did not have to go through that suffering. And yet every single time Jesus anchors himself into the truth and he trusts in scripture and he uses it as a weapon to fight against the temptation of the enemy. Maybe you know the story in Matthew chapter 4. What does Jesus say to the enemy? He says, it is written. In verse 7, he says it again, again, it is writ written. And again, with the final temptation, he says, be gone, Satan. For, let me hear it, it is written. Now, we, what can make knowing the word of God complicated is the devil also knows God's word. And he quotes the Bible. And he will use the scriptures to bring deception to us. And we see this in this very story. In Matthew 4, verse 5, the devil says back to Jesus, For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. But let's remember how the scriptures describe our enemy. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. There is actually no truth in him. Everything out of his mouth is a lie. And yet again, we fall prey to these lies again and again and again. Even Eve, when she quotes back to the serpent, the words that God said perfectly, the difference was she allowed the enemy to erode her trust in those words. There was something she wanted even more than her relationship with God. And this is where you and I become susceptible to the enemy's craftiness. We want something more than we want God. And every time these things get out of order in our life, we are ripe for disappointment and disillusionment that comes on the other side of falling into our temptation. Because all of the things that we could have in this world, and every time that we fall again and again, it can never truly satisfy the true longing of our heart and our soul. And so the question is, how do we discern this? You see, resilient followers of Jesus don't only know and quote and use the Bible. 
They're part of a robust local church, a body living out their faith one with another under the authority of scripture. And that is how we are able to wisely navigate this complex culture that we are all a part of. You see, there's a single defining difference between just knowing and quoting and using the Bible. Are you ready for this? It's huge. This is a game changer for you and for me. And this is what Jesus modeled for us. You see, Jesus doesn't simply know the scriptures. He is perfectly and completely submitted to its place of authority in his life, which gives him the authority over the darkness. You see, darkness never submits to scripture. So even when it's used, it is never authoritative. However, when the darkness uses scripture, it's always for a singular aim to bring deception and to alter the direction of our lives from trusting God to trusting anything or anyone else. You see, this trust relationship with God in scripture is not just a one-time encounter or a one-day decision, but this daily and continual surrender and submission to the authority of scripture and the character of God. I find myself on a daily basis getting on my knees and saying, God, would you help me today to be fully submitted to your will and your way and your plans? God, I know that you have gone ahead of me and you've already prepared the good works that I'm to walk in. Would you attune my heart and my eyes to see them, that I won't just run off in my own strength, but God, I submit afresh today to your will and to your way. You see, I grew up in church memorizing scripture, going to Awana Club. Anybody go to Awana Club as a child? This was literally a club where you memorize scripture. Lori was talking to our boys about this this week, yeah. the, and, and my boy in the back, it was a brilliant moment we were driving, yeah. and Lori was talking about Awana, and all he said was this, I hated Awana. <laughs> <laughs> Lori just kept going, and I was like, that's my boy. So... It was a that's all that's all what the club was. <laughs> but honestly, until my 20s, my relationship with Jesus was quite shallow. And I had a radical encounter with Jesus in my early 20s where I experienced the depth of God's profound love for me. And in that moment, I just said, God, my life is yours to do whatever you want with it. And it was at a revival service in Pensacola, Florida, the Brownsville Revival. You may have heard of it. And I went to this revival just as a spectator. I, I wasn't even looking for life transformation. I kind of just wanted to see what it was all about. About. And little did I know, in the middle of worship, the Holy Spirit arrested my heart and I just began to weep from my toes and God just began to cleanse me from the inside out. You have no idea. It wasn't about being at a revival service. It was about a moving of the Holy Spirit. And you have no idea what Sunday the Holy Spirit is going to arrest you. Or maybe in your bedroom. Or maybe in your car. Or maybe with a friend in small group. You have no idea when the Holy Spirit is going to arrest your heart and, and change you from the inside out. 
And this launched me into a decade of trying to learn as much as I could about God and his word. I went to Bible school and I, I just loved reading the scriptures and books and going to Bible studies in small groups. I had this insatiable hunger for the word of God and for knowledge. I just wanted to know God and I wanted to know the Bible and I wanted to know myself and my purpose. And in the midst of all of this, the invitation kept coming, Lori, will you trust me? Lori, will you trust the authority of my word over everything else? And after that came a decade in my 30s of, of sort of taking all of this knowledge that I had gained and, and wanting to put it into something. I wanted to begin to do for God as much as I could. These were the building years. I began serving in church and working in ministry and giving of my time and my talent and my treasure. And with, alongside our incredible team at Life Center, God has used Jason and I to grow our church from one service in one location to five services across three locations. We run a Bible school, our heart conference, heart strong discipleship, where we're discipling people on a daily basis in God's word. We have a food bank, a podcast. And, and yet in the midst of all of that, this invitation comes again and again, Lori, will you trust me? Will you trust my word as authority over your life? Lori, did you do all of that or did I? Is it mine? Lori, will you lay it down? Will you trust me over all of what you have done? And now in my 40s, I'm sensing this even deeper invitation of surrender and trust as though the decades of learning and then the decades of doing has created this hunger inside of me for something I cannot find simply through knowledge and simply through working harder. There's this invitation that's coming to go deeper into the presence of God and intimacy with Jesus to encounter and experience his presence in a deep soul-filled place. And this is requiring the most trust of all because I actually feel like God is saying, will you lay down what you know? Will you lay down all that you have done and let me go deep into your being because I want to be with you. And I feel like this is what God is doing in his church today. He's calling us deeper into intimacy with him because he's preparing us for eternity of being with him. And this is exactly what Jesus modeled for us. He modeled oneness with his father, complete reliance and dependency, complete obedience and surrender. And this is the place where all that we have learned and all that we have done come together under the fullness of the authority over darkness. This is the place where our trust deepens and we become resilient in our following Jesus. That's really good. That's really, really good. Wilbur Smith says this, all lasting moves of God, whether it's individual, whether it's you know, personal, or whether it's corporate, um, have their genesis in restoring the word of God to its rightful place of prominence. A revival which does not rest solidly upon the word of God will ultimately either fade out because there is no foundation of divine truth, continu continually refreshing it, or it will run into dangerous and cessational emotionalism, which after it is passed will make those who have been the subjects of such an experience dry and indifferent to the things of God. 
at times more easily accessible than ever to the inroads of Satan himself. Men recognize, or humanity recognize, something about the word of God as divine. When it is preached, humanity knows that they are hearing the word of God and nothing less will arouse a nation sunk in selfishness, self-satisfaction, and godlessness. It is the restoration of God's words to its place of providence. But here's what I've discovered in my life, which probably you have in yours as well, is it is this. Truth isn't removed as much as it is replaced. Truth isn't removed, it's just replaced by something else. And where do you find this whole progression? Genesis chapter 3. Where do you find it in every single human's story from Genesis chapter 3 till today? Same place. The enemy comes and he's crafty. Again, it's not to remove your trust in God. It's just to replace your trust in something less authoritative, something inferior. For me, when I was going through the storm, I didn't realize that my trust was shifting from God into myself. And it came to a place of profound breaking to actually, again, realize, uh uh-oh, there's a problem here. Self-reliancy, reliance on my own intellect, my own, which is not that, not that great, mind you, but reliance on my own intellect or my emotional capacity or my vision or my knowledge or my understanding or my way to communicate or my way to lead or my way to love. All, no, no, no. All of those things are good things. Here's the truth. Lori talked about temptation and sin. You can become just as lost by good things as you can by technically bad things. They can actually lead to self-reliance, and I didn't realize that. And it took a place of breaking to realize, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong. Did you know that God did the very same thing at our church? We were swimming along just fine, doing what we wanted to do, feeling we were walking in a way. But somewhere along the way, we began to chase somebody else's vision rather than God's vision for our house. And here's what God did in love. God allowed us to go long enough to a place where warning bells clicked, where it was like kind of like that pass no more moment. It hits this place. It hits this place where God actually in love will bring you to a place of brokenness to be able to say this is a defining moment for you. This is a defining season for you. This is a deciding season in your heart and in your life. So my question is, when it comes to what you believe, is your worldview being shaped by God's word or is it being changed by living under the pressure of the culture in which we're living in? Is your compassion, your sense of justice, which are all good and wonderful things in God's word, but but are they forming? Is your formation in identity or sexuality Is your identity in who you are in Christ, is it being formed by God's word or is it being formed by the pressure of the world in which we live? I know these are contested spaces that require whole additional conversations, but they're worth you and I engaging. Is your worldview being formed by political ideology or is it being formed by God's word? Is your worldview, the way in which you and I view the world, is it increasingly becoming us and them? Or is it actually this beautiful place of there is God and then there is us and Lord, we need more of you. And my friends that don't know you, they need to meet you. And my friends that have met you, they need more of you. So all of us are in a place of dependency upon you. 
this great humility and hunger for God. Here is what the the data shows. It's disciples that are resilient. Imperfectly, yes. Imperfectly, yes. I hurt my little hand there, right there. Is it bleeding? Go get me a Band-Aid. No. 100% of disciples who are resilient, they trust God's word when it comes to their lives. When it comes to the truth about what life is, they trust God's word. I didn't say they like it. How many of you have read the Bible? Can I see your hands, please? How many of you have found something in there you don't like? Can I see your hands, please? You don't put your hand up. You is lying. You're lying. There's things in there you're like, ah, really? Ah, here's the thing, though. The Bible isn't a buffet. You don't get to pick and choose. It's a cohesive story. It's kind of like when you meet someone that you fall in love with. It's not a buffet. You don't get to pick and choose what you like about someone. Like, hey, I think we could be really great if you change these nine things. If someone says that to you, my advice to you is a fu- run. Just run. Just, just run. I one time had somebody in their 20s, and not because they're in their 20s they said this. That's just part of the story. I'm not putting you down. I'm just saying that's just part of the story. They were a male, so they were dumb, and they were in their 20s which is just part of the story. And they said to me this, hey, uh, I, I heard of dating this girl. Um, I think she could be the one. I think she's amazing. Um, one, one challenge, uh, Pastor Jay, just one, one challenge. Um, I think she needs to lose about 20 pounds. <laughs> this man had the gall to say this to me. So I put my fist back. I laid hands on him the best way I knew how. And after he got off the floor, I didn't punch him. I didn't punch him. But I said to him, in honesty, I said, can we just have a mentoring moment here? And he's like, yeah, sure. Um, there's not one thing that's the problem. You is the problem. You're not ready to be in a relationship with another human being, period. Like, you, you, you have a massive problem. I, I regret to inform you this gentleman is still single, but he left the church, so... Um, <laughs> Hopefully he didn't make it all the way out to BC, though. But if he's in another <laughs> province, God bless him. But 100% of disciples who follow Jesus, they trust God's word. You know how you can begin to see? And trust me, trust me. We, we love to say, like, I love God's word, but I just don't like his church. I mean, it doesn't work that way. Like, I love, God, I love God's word, but I just don't like his body. Well, yeah, you know what? Like, if you start ta- smack-talking Lori, I'm, I'm going to be like, yeah, okay, well, that's fair. That's honest criticism. Hey, that's a little over the line, and we're going to have an issue Loved ones, be careful how you speak about his bride. It's his bride. And I know we got a lot of spots and wrinkles, but it's still his bride. And he is still working to conform those things out. So disciples who are resilient have a deep trust in God's word. You know how you can begin to see resiliency drop? They they, they stop coming to church. And their resiliency drops by about 50%. 50%. And then it drops from 100% to 8% disciples whose faith becomes deconstructed happens in the contested space of trusting God's word, being engaged within a local church, and following in the way of Jesus. Three things. Trusting God's word, engaging in their local church, and then actively for themselves engaging in spiritual formation. Those three things become replaced by something that is inferior, that is worldly, and their faith becomes deconstructed. Are your beliefs about life being formed by God's word or by pressure from the culture in which we live? Here's a tip for all of us, though. 
Because how many of you know that we can help people or we can hinder people? Like I have, like I don't even agree with everything I've preached today. Like we, we, we change our minds often, right? That was a joke, by the way. That was just a little joke. Just a little joke. Some of you are like, oh, really? You don't? I was like, well, you should have prepared a little bit more because, you know, you, you, knew, you knew you were speaking this week. That was just a little joke. But I tell you, sometimes I listen to what I preached like 10 years ago, and I'm like, yo, who was that? <laughs> Here's a little tip for all of us. Ready? If the Bible is silent, keep silent on a subject. If the Bible whispers like it's there once, whisper. But where the Bible shouts, shout. And don't mix up those things. When we speak where the Bible is silent or we shout where we should whisper, we can cause others to grow unsure if they can trust God's word. I'll give you a quick example, and then I'm going to close and turn it to Lori. Parents in the room, you value a clean room. Your kid... That is just beautiful. That's it. You're done. You're done. I may not be finished, but I'm done. I get. I love it. You may value a clean room. Don't ever say this. You know, Jesus really values a clean room. Jesus doesn't care about your room. That's the truth. Okay, some of your parents are like, that's not true. That's not true. I can see it right now. You're like, no, uh-uh, not in my house. In my house, Jesus cares a lot about our room. No, you care about your room. And we have standards, but how many of you know, some of you are like, it's in the Bible. Cleanliness is next to godliness. That's not in the Bible. It's not in there. It's just said it's in there. It's not in there. Revelation, for some of you, you're like, oh my gosh. In other words, there are things that are just cultural that we mistakenly make them biblical. And then when people disagree with things that are cultural that we make biblical, it causes confusion about what is genuinely biblical. And so sometimes we're just breaking up with how we did something, but not the truth of what is. And we need to understand the difference and give space and love in diversity around things that are just cultural, but not necessarily biblical. Yet where the Bible shouts, we need to remain anchored, steadfast, immovable, regardless of the presser or the persecution that comes. The longer we believe... The longer we believe, the more we're going to go through seasons like this. And when you're broken, it's an invitation by God to trust and to see him do a beautiful work in you, or it leads you to some place that is inferior and you are empowered because you get to choose because of the goodness of our God. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm just going to invite you to just posture yourself as I read some scriptures. And the worship team can read to Yeah, we're going to close now. We're going to prepare to close. I want to read some scriptures over you because the scriptures talk about the power of scripture. The scriptures actually teach us why we can trust it, why we can trust it as authority over all the other invitations for our trust. 
And so I just invite you to receive the reading of scripture right into your spirit. Let it even bypass. It's not just about knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Let it go right into your spirit today. And humbly open your heart to say, God, help me trust you. Help me trust your word as truth. Let's humble ourselves before him today. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4.11. Holy Spirit, discern our thoughts and intentions. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Colossians 3, verse 2. Oh, Holy Spirit, set our minds on the things of you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Romans 12, verse 2. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Philippians 4 verse 8. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Matthew 24, 35. Jesus, we come before you humbly in this house and we ask for your help. We ask for you to help us to trust you. We afresh lay down our wants and our desires and our flesh and our ways and our self-sufficiency before you. We lay it at the foot of the cross. We submit it before you and we submit ourselves under the authority of your word. And we ask you to do a work in us where we have replaced your truth with inferior information. God, we ask for a renewing of our mind. Would you replace the lies that we have believed with the truth of what you say, of who you are, of what your word says? Would you transform us to be more like you? And our heart's desire is to follow in your ways, to be like you, Jesus, to be with you, Jesus, as you form us into resilient disciples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church audio podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.